tight end. And so now we're practicing game-specific strategies in the warm-ups. And so when it, the situation comes up in the game, they've already done it. Hello and welcome back to the Mental Sweet Spot podcast, where we share stories, tips, and strategies for coaching the mental game of softball. I'm Melanie Rushing, and today we have a special guest who will discuss intentional coaching. We talk about evolving from the way we were coached, building culture intentionally, reflecting on how it feels to be coached by you, not making assumptions, and how to build intentional focus into your practice plan. Today's guest is the founder of Unleash the Athlete and former head of leadership development for IMG Academy. He's worked with the Dallas Cowboys, Green Bay Packers, and is currently the mental performance coach for the Chicago Bulls. With a bachelor's in communication, a master's in performance psychology, and almost 20 years of coaching experience, he teaches leadership, character, and resilience to athletes around the country and abroad through keynotes, workshops, and online courses that help coaches and parents have a more positive sport experience. We've got an exciting guest today. He does some amazing things with the performance, and you're going to hear a lot of great advice and amazing stories from today. I've done a little bit of research on him, and I cannot wait to hear it myself. Please welcome James Leith. Welcome, James. That's a ton of pressure. I don't know if I'm ready for this. You totally got it. <laughs> all right. I, it's all about self-talk. I got it. I can, <laughs> right? I can do this. The performance has begun. <laughs> exactly. So please tell listeners a little bit about yourself, your journey in sports psych, and a little bit about what you do now. Yeah. So uh, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. It's always fun to talk about this stuff. I'm, I'm passionate about it as you are, you know, just, I get excited about it. My journey started in, uh, formally, it started in my early thirties when, uh, for the first time I saw the two words sport and psychology together. And that was only about, you know, nine, 10 years ago. And when I saw it, it was like a white socks job posting. And I was like, what is this? So I looked into it and I realized there's a whole body of work dedicated to sports psychology. And I mean, I had been doing this stuff just by reading books and had great coaches and overcoming adversity and stuff. But now I was opened up to this world of sports psychology and I had gotten my, my bachelor's in communication and I was a, I was a multi-sport athlete in high school in college. I, I played a couple of different sports and was involved in some, a couple of different organizations. But when I got my master's in performance psychology, it was just, it was so eye-opening that there was just so much resources available for athletes and coaches to perform at a, at a high level. And I was coaching and I, I, I quickly realized while I was in the process of getting my master's that the strategy and the technique of the certain sports, whether it was football or basketball or baseball, I wasn't really interested. I was more interested and I had more fun talking to my athletes one-on-one, -on -one, uh, hanging out in the locker room and building culture and teaching leadership and putting guys and girls in situations where they became better people. And then that made them become better athletes. And so I, I stopped coaching at the higher levels in high school and college and went down into the lower levels so that way I could be a resource to other coaches. And I started writing a blog uh, it's called Coach Notes that you can find on my website. And I, I'm writing that for a couple of years now. And right before I finished my master's, uh, I found a school named uh, IMG Academy in Florida. And I decided to apply for a, a mental coach there. They have mental performance coaches there. And instead, I got hired as a leadership guy. And once I got there, I, I was uh, promoted to the head of leadership. So I was the head of leadership development at IMG Academy for a couple of years. And that experience just transformed me. One, because of the number of reps that I had. So in, in life, you've got, I got this from Arnold Schwarzenegger, life is about reps and mileage. And I had so many reps of teaching things on identity and on values and communication skills and all the, the mental resiliency stuff that when I finally left there, I left, my father uh, became ill and I moved to Dallas and uh, to take care of him. But when I had left, I had this like this body of, of experience that I could continue to build on. So I moved to Dallas and I started a company called Unleash the Athlete. And I, I still do that to this day where I'm doing workshops and 
I'm, I'm working one-on-one -on -one with athletes and I've got a couple courses and just, just enjoying it. I love it. I, coaches will bring me out to uh, audit their practice and help them to become more efficient. And what really is, what's interesting is uh, that I, I'm, oftentimes I'm not adding to what they're doing. A lot of times I'm actually taking stuff away. Like they're doing <laughs> yeah. too much. You know, you got two hours of practice and you spent 45 minutes warming up nine-year-olds. It's like, um, <laughs> they've been running around all day. So let's uh, cut about 40 minutes out of that 45-minute workout and let's actually, you know, teach them some stuff and play some games and have some activities so that they want to come back to practice and not stay home and play chapter two of Fortnite, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so that, that brings me to, uh, I, I got a position uh, with the Chicago Bulls as a mental performance coach. Uh, by the time people hear this podcast, I, I'll, be a, I'll be a couple weeks in, but uh, right now it's very new. And so I spend my time in between Indianapolis and Chicago uh, working with the Chicago Bulls and then doing some stuff uh, here in Indianapolis. And that brings us up to today. So yes. hello. Hello. How you <laughs> well, that is quite the journey and what awesome experiences. I can't wait to hear like the continued journey, but for now we'll stick with all the ones that you've already had. Okay. So let's I, do that. Good call. I first, I gotta say, I wish Alicia could have been here today. I know you've met her. I thought she was going to be here. Like, she couldn't make it, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you guys, that's her thing too. You guys are the relationship people. You're the build mm -hmm. the culture, build each individual to lead through that culture. What have you found are the best ways, almost like skills that you need as a coach to help build that character and build those relationships? Great question. So there's two things that I heard there. One was relationships, which you could talk about culture. And then the other is the, the character, and that is their ability to perform. So we'll have two different answers for that. For the, for, let's go to the culture. That's, that's fun. And culture is going to happen whether you try to have a culture or not. The, there's no such thing as an absence of culture. You either have a bad one that you haven't paid attention to, or you have a good one that you've been very intentional about. And I have found that great cultures have two things. They've got a shared language, so they have, a, they have a playbook. They've got code things that they say to each other, and they can yell to each other on the field, and they know coach says something, and the athlete responds in a, in a way to do something. But then there's also the second part of that is, share, or is um, inside jokes. So great cultures have a shared language, and they have inside jokes. And inside jokes come from athletes being emotionally secure about being on the team. They feel safe on the team and the coach provides that. Uh, and it's, it has to be intentional because if, if, if you and I coach just by default, the way our coaches coached us 10, 15, 20 years ago, those tactics might not work these days. Um, I've, I've had, when I told you I was a multi-sport athlete in high school, and primarily because my dad said, you either are on a team or you have a job. And it's okay, well, what's the I next sport, <laughs> right? But, you know, in, I graduated high school in 1998. And so between 94 and 98, I just went from sport to sport because back then sport hadn't become year round. There was, there was volleyball that had club and there was soccer that had club and a couple of winter league baseball team, but football was you started at the end of July and you were done by Thanksgiving and you didn't do anything football until uh, spring. And it was only for two weeks. And then you took off the summer and that was football. And so, and that was my primary sport. So everything in between there was um, baseball and basketball and uh, volleyball track it was even on a cheer team. We did some competition cheer. It was awesome. Like doing, doing that kind of stuff. But what I learned from there is that every team had a different culture. Every team had a different set of expectations and they always stemmed from the kind of person the coach was. So if the coach was interested in, in growing himself or herself, then the team was a, a recipient of those benefits. They, they were able to grow because the coach grew. If the coach 
got a new class. So a lot of coaches forget that when you start a new season, even if you have most of your team back from last year, you have, you have a lot of returners. They're all different. They all went through a summer or a winter. They've broken up with their boyfriends or girlfriends. They've had things happen at home. They've, you know, parents got a new job. Maybe they moved or whatever, all these things, because there's so much change going on in middle school and in high school and college. So they're always different. And so as a coach, you have to take each season as a, as a brand new season. You can, yeah, you can build on last season, but really like you have to meet them where they're at. And the great coaches themselves evolved. And so culture is something that is, has to be intentional. And it, I heard somebody say this a couple of weeks ago, uh, traditions shouldn't graduate. Culture should not graduate. That's what it was. Culture should not graduate. And so my challenge to coaches are, are you allowing your juniors and seniors to pass on the culture to the sophomores and, and freshmen? Are you as a coach being consistent that every year, here are the things that are important to the team. Here are the values that I'm going to display. So that's, that's really important. And the reason I started with culture before the mental skills is because you can teach mental skills, but then if you belittle the player in front of all of her teammates, you've lost her. She's no, she does all the other skills that you taught her. It doesn't matter. So that culture comes from the way the coach talks to his athletes from the, the things that, you know, she expects from the team on a day-to-day basis. That's where, that's how important culture is. I mean, it, it is the, the linchpin of the success of your team. And it's not, and I think it's really interesting that um, you've got a baseball team that's in the world series that used to have one of the best players in the league, Bryce Harper. Well, he's at home. (laughs) They got rid of him and now they're in the world series. Like what happened? What is that? Nothing to say. I'm not saying Bryce Harper is a bad guy. What I'm saying is that sometimes pieces get put together and the the way the coach uh, tells the story of the team that can motivate the team to be super successful and make it in the playoffs and in the world series. Right. Like, I can keep that's, going. That's a you you got to cut no, me off. I don't want to cut you off. I'm sitting here like, okay, if I have to meet myself cause then people will keep hearing me go, uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll mute myself in between and let you keep talking, but I'm doing okay. the like hands up, like the prayer hand emoji, like, like all these things. Oh, we are, on the same page and I love it. I love the intentionality piece because it is so true. You're either creating a a good culture or you're creating a bad culture. You're always creating a culture, Mm -hmm. always. So when I I got a phone call from a guy in, uh, I won't say the high school name, but it was a central California coastal team, football team. And he calls me up and he's like, hey, I got a lot of guys that are quitting and the season's starting up in a couple of weeks. I need to know why, so I'm paying you to come out here. So he, he brings me out there. And uh, I'm standing on the football field. I've got my notebook and five minutes into practice, this kid comes up to him and goes, coach, my neck hurts. And, and the coach looks at me and the coach looks at him and, and he grabs the back of his neck and he goes, Oh yeah, my neck hurts too. And the kid's like, no, serious coach. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm not feeling good. And the neck hurts. And now I played football. So I understand that a couple pounds on your head, you know, like, like women have really long hair. When they cut it off, it's like they just lost 30 pounds. Like they're just like light on their feet because, you know, but these helmets are heavy. And this coach was like, yeah, you know, he was really, he was really condescending to this kid. And the, the coach was like, all right, we'll go sit down. And the kid sat down and the coach looks at me. He's like, all right, sports psych. You know, like I'm like brand new in the world. So I'm like, you can't call me that. That's a protected term. <laughs> like, right. But like, I'm like, I'm, he's like, what do you think? And I was like, well, um, I've got some notes for you. Do you want them now or later? He's like, Oh, just tell me that one now. And I go, well, he's going to quit within the next two weeks. And, um, you know, you've lost him. Like he won't listen to you while he's still here. He goes, why? And I was like, you can't talk to kids that way. He said, well, my coach talked to me that way. I was like, yeah, yeah. That was 35 years ago. It was a long time ago. It was a very, very different world. These, these kids are, you know, I always tell parents and, and coaches, kids haven't changed, but the world around them has changed. 
and they they haven't had the experience of being taught. They're not, they don't have the emotional experience to know that coach is just joking. And you get, that's one of the reasons I love sixth grade athletes is because they're just on the cusp of like understanding that, oh, coach is joking. Like they start understanding sarcasm. You start having fun with them. But you can't just assume everybody's had that experience because I have no plenty of 20 something year olds that are emotionally grow stunted that they they have not emotionally matured because they've been so babied by their circumstance and so i told this coach that i was like yeah he's gonna quit and two weeks later i get a text message all it said and i didn't have this coach's number um, saved all it said was he quit you were right oh the time <laughs> you don't like, want to be right we were like you know <laughs> yeah well, that's what i did i called him i was like coach i didn't want to be right but you need to fix the way you talk to kids and he's like you know i know i i definitely do and so you know we worked on and stuff and his retention rate uh, went up and so it's just those little tiny things you can be intentional and you have to be very thoughtful about how it feels to be coached by you you have to ask yourself that how do these players feel being coached by me because like Angie Miles or Angie Miles, I always mess up her name. Some really famous, awesome woman said, you know, they're not going to remember what you say. They're going to remember how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. And even in that moment, the way I talked to the coach was important. Because I'm just like, hey, you're an a-hole and you shouldn't do that. Next. Well, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> now, like I just did the same thing to him that he did to the kid. And so I had to just go, coach. You know, this is what I observed. You can take it or leave it, but you paid me, so I'm taking the money. But, like, but <laughs> so, take it or leave it. I'm taking it. You know, but uh, and, and he's okay. Well, I need, I need to, I need to grow. You know, and he's in his fifties, and he's talking about I need to grow. That's a sign of a great coach or a great coach in the making, because you can have twenty years of coaching experience, or you can have twenty years of one coach or of one year of experience and just always coaching the same way every single year, ignoring the fact that these kids have more options that these, the kids that were leaving his program, they weren't all leaving because of condescending tones. I could literally see the beach from the practice field. So there's that. Slightly <laughs> like, distracting. Right. I mean, it's a beautiful day. I was like, coach, I don't want to be here either. You know, like, <laughs> but you know, you have to, you have to understand that, um, I, so when I moved to Dallas, I was picked up by the, the Dallas Cowboys organization to be the head or the, be the um, director of performance for complexity. Complexity is the esports organization that uh, Jerry Jones bought underneath the Dallas Cowboys thing. And so they brought me in to work with gamers, professional gamers, guys that are making, it was mostly guys, guys that are making to $20,000 a month to play video games that we as adults think are stupid. Ha! Who's stupid now making 20 grand? (laughs) Right? Yeah. And so there's this stat out there. It shows like the top athletes from 2019. um, And it's like Tiger, like paid athletes, Tiger Woods, all these other things. And then there's this margin. There's this huge margin in between second place and first place because the first place guys were four dudes who played a game called Dota who split like $16 million. Wow. After a performance over two days. So it's not even close the amount of money that can be made in esports compared to professional sports. And so, and we're not talking about are they athletes or not or whatever. Like where I land on that is they're cognitive athletes. Like they, it's, mm-hmm. it's very difficult. It's a performance. To it's totally a performance, you know? And so, um, and, and I treated them like athletes. However, what I found is that these gamers, because they were at the top level of their profession, most likely, most of them, some of them, there was, there's always exceptions, but most of them had a very similar experience in that they were kind of loners when they were younger. So they're in their room playing the games, different games and stuff. And not really learning the social mechanics that you and I learned out on the field and on the court and in the pool and on the track and all these different places. And so before I could even get to goal setting 
and mindfulness and these these like sports psychology foundations we had to talk about here's how you uh, set a schedule here's how you talk to your teammate here's how you talk to a girl i mean you know that it was like everything like it, it was here's how you here's how you function in the world here's how you make dinner these really basic things that we forget that happens a lot in um i have a lot of friends in triple a baseball and they get these athletes from different countries that don't speak english a lot of them are from hispanic cultures so you got mexico puerto rico and all stuff so they come into america and they their food preparation is completely different like they just they'll just leave a gallon of milk just sitting on the counter for a couple of days because that's how they do it or they, or they <laughs> right but but it's like you you know you can you, like you, you can't assume mm-hmm. that you know all that stuff you know so i, I was at i was at img one year and um there was uh, we had this we had this boot camp i brought in a, a, a drill instructor and his name was major Tannehill, and he's a great great dude he flies the, the black hawks uh, helicopters just a great dude and uh, he puts on these 36-hour boot camps. And we had a baseball player who uh, refused to shave. That was the thing. Every baseball player, like 70 baseball players, they had to shave if they were going to participate. And if you didn't shave, you couldn't participate, but you had to be there. So there's one guy, his name was Jose. And he shows up, and he didn't shave. And Major Tannehill went off on him and made him carry stuff for hours. And it's just like, go shave. And he's like, no. And so one of the players came up to him. And he's like, Major Tannehill, is it okay if I go talk, if I go to the, to the locker room and, and, or my, my room and grab, excuse me, some shaving equipment? Well, I'm just going to shave him. And Tannehill's like, yeah, whatever you want to do. So he goes to his room and he grabs the shaving stuff and he grabs me and he grabs Jose and we go into the locker room. And uh, Jose, they give it to Jose and I go, Jose, are you going to shave? He's like, oh, okay, I'll shave. So he puts the shaving cream on his hand then he takes the razor and he dips the razor in the shaving cream. Well, that's not typically how you shave. Usually you put it on your face, <laughs> right? And I'm like, hold on, stop. Let me just real basic question. Do you know how to shave? And he said, no. I said, okay. Second question. Did you not shave because you were embarrassed to ask somebody how to do it? And he goes, yeah. I go, so you weren't being disrespectful. Mm-hmm. You just were embarrassed that you were the only person there, an 18 year old, you know, quote unquote kid. You don't know how to shave. I, I got you. Let's do this. Like I saw, I was like, first of all, you're not dipping it in your hand. Like put it on your face and you put it on his face and I put it on my face and we shaved. And so that, that taught me that you have to, you can't assume that the athletes are at the level that you want them to be. And so you, you want to be careful to not paintbrush over the team. Here are the expectations and here are the consequences. And this is what you need to know. You have to dive in and go and, and get your, get your masters in each kid. You know, if you have, if you have 14 kids on your team, you need 14 different files, whether it's mental or you're actually writing it down and you get to know these kids. And then from there you start allowing them to contribute to the culture. Unless you're in college or at the pros, um, you know, it's, it's important that they have, a, they have some kind of like, they participate in what the culture is. You know, in college, you get go to like Nick Saban, at Alabama. It's like, this is the culture. <laughs> this is what you're signing up for. Yeah, when you're, but, when you're going to Nick Saban, you just, yeah. you just follow along. <laughs> you just follow along, but it's a proven method. You know, a lot of, and a lot of people are like, I don't agree with it. He's too mean. It's like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like if you knew all the boat trips that he takes them on, on his private boat and all the times he brings all the rookies over to his house and what he does for those guys or Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, he brings in former Michigan players and assigns them to the, uh, he brings in alumni and assigns them to current football players so that they have business connections when they graduate media doesn't talk about that but those are great ways to build culture Mm -hmm. they often end up run you know winning because of it but in high school you want to give your kids a little bit of say in the personality of the team 
instead of just like imposing, like, this is how the team's going to be. Like you can have expectations. I would even argue to allow the kids to make the expectations because what you'll find is that the kids' consequences are much more diff or much more hard than the consequences you would be like, okay, if you're late to, to, to a study session, the consequence is you got to run a lap. <laughs> okay. Which is a stupid, you know, consequence. Right. Cause they should be running laps for conditioning. But if you let the kids do it and be like, Hey, so what do we want to do? We want to make sure everybody's on time to study session. You guys make the consequence. What is it? And they'll be brutal. It'll be like a thousand pushups, an essay that they got to write to the governor. Like, you know, like <laughs> they like go crazy uh -huh. bring them back. But what's fun about that is that they participate in the culture and every year it's going to evolve a little bit. And so I think great coaches understand that the culture is going to match the personality of the personnel, the people that they have on their team. And then every year is different. You know, that's your experience, right? I mean, have, haven't you experienced like every year, even if you're coaching the same age, the same sport, the same school, every season is completely different regardless of the wins and losses because mm -hmm. of the personalities on the team. Yep. And yet every year you try to make – well, maybe it's just softball. Maybe it's just people I've talked to, but it seems as though people try to make the next year's theme based on last year's team. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, and a great coach will, will recognize that and call it and be like, Hey, last year is over. If you were a part of last year, that chapter is closed. Thank you for your participation. Let's look ahead to the new year. This is a brand new year. And so let's not, oh, well, you know, we got so close to the championship last year. Let's this year, we're all about the championship. Like, okay, well, is that what this team needs? You know, is that, is that going to be the focus or is it going to be something different? And I find when you, anytime you focus on the past year, even if it's just a little bit, it ruins it. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> well, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to look forward when you're mm -hmm. looking back. You can only do one or the other. Exactly. You know, so the, the, the future is informed by the past, but you know, it's, it's managed, it's dictated, it's set in stone by right now. What, what can we do right now? Because if you, if you won the state championship last year and then you graduate 10 seniors, well, though that they're gone. Like that, 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 that is no longer a part of like this season. This season is its own season. And so and a great coach understands that and just looks at culture. But then the second thing is the mentally resiliency, right? The, the, the skills. And those are, those are a lot of fun because mm -hmm. a lot of coaches think that they have to add more to their sessions. Exactly. And, <laughs> and when you're talking mental skills, the session is mental training. For example, you want to make things simple, like it's football season. So what, most of the, the people listen to the show, what would you say? Like, are they mostly softball? I am guessing because uh, okay. that's where you promote it. But yeah, I would assume okay. there's other sports as well. Got it. All right. Well, I played baseball and I played softball. So I understand. A little co-ed, adult softball. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> About all I can uh, handle these days. Yeah. So, uh, I was at an ultimate Frisbee practice a couple of days ago. And um, I, what I liked about it is that I saw a lot. I, I never played ultimate Frisbee, but what I saw is the warmups are very similar to what I was doing in baseball. And when I played softball, you line up and you throw and you, you bond a little bit and then you start going through some skills training, some physical skills training. And, but what I noticed is that the way they were throwing the Frisbee were just, they were just kind of, you know, just here's a throw and then there's a throw. And I even saw it at basketball practice the other day and I'm watching these you know, men that are getting paid millions of dollars and they're just kind of just warming up, but shooting and not really like focused in on the task. And so one thing that I, I could recommend a coach to do when it comes to just those warmups is have a focused period of let's say three minutes in three minutes. I want you to throw it as straight and as hard as you can. And you just keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, fast, switch, catch, 
back in the hand, boom, catch, back in the hand, throw. And you just do that for three minutes and there's an end. Instead of saying, go warm up for 10 minutes and then the coach goes talks to the parents or checks Facebook feed or whatever. But you have that little focused moment. And from that, it's like, that's such a great primer for how the rest of practice is going to go. Instead of what I saw at this ultimate Frisbee practice is we're going to throw, we're going to goof off. Some guys are going to do the under the leg and this, uh, and now I'm going to teach you something. And how come these throws are so crappy? What's going on? We, you know, we warmed up. I gave you all this stuff. You guys are, are, are athletes. What's happened? Well, what we didn't do is make them focus earlier. And so now we're asking them to, in a game situation, throw with, with focus and accuracy and intention but we didn't warm up that way. And so if we warm up that way and it's a short little period of time, let them goof off. Like Anson Dorns from uh, uh, North Carolina, he's a soccer coach for a lot of years and he found a lot of experience, uh, successful experience. He would send his, his girls on a lap and he'd be like, take your time, talk, walk, goof off, whatever you gotta do. Just get it out of your system, celebrate each other. When you get back after the lap, practice starts. And they looked forward to that. And they would, sometimes they would go and they jog and then they goof out and they push each other in the bushes and all stuff. A lot of coaches would get mad. They'd be like, stop messing around. Where he's just like, keep messing around. <laughs> like, get it out of your system because mm-hmm. that, that's this, the, you've got to, you know, switch the mind to you're no longer like in class. You're not in school anymore. You're out here to play a game. And so the, some of the skills that I teach really are just waking up that athlete inside. Like my business is called unleash the athlete. Well, they're in school all day. They come out to practice. You have to unleash that athlete inside of them. You have to get them to start focusing. And it's very simple to, you don't have to sit there and go today. We're going to learn about goal setting. Like, no, today for three minutes, I'm going to play some music. And I want you to see how accurate and how fast you can catch the ball, switch hands and then throw it. And just hit them right, hit, hit that person right in the chest. Or now everybody, I want you to hold the glove out. And your goal is to hit that glove. So now you're changing the direction or you're changing the, um, the aim of the person throwing. And it's no longer, oh, that throw is a little low. Oh, that throw is a little high. Like, no, no, no. That throw was supposed to be to their left down there on the corner. By the way, that's the same place where they slide in. And so now we're practicing game specific strategies in the warmups. And so when it, the situation comes up in the game, they've already done it. When you watch football players make these fantastic catches or basketball players go underneath their legs and twirl around and write an essay paper and then slam dunk it, like all the stuff that they do, <laughs> they've, they've practiced it. When I'm, you know, when I'm at, in Chicago and I'm watching these guys warm up and they're doing stuff, they're doing things that I didn't even know was possible. And they do them in the games, but never for the first time. They did it in practice first. So as a coach, you want to teach your kids to be focused. You want to teach them to be deliberate about what they're doing. And you want that to happen during the game. It's got to happen in practice, but it's got to be in short spurts. You don't want to be the coach that's like, for the next hour and a half, I need complete focused attention. Because even during this interview, this podcast, people listening have checked their Instagram, like they ordered coffee, like mm-hmm. they're, they're doing all this other stuff. Like you fell asleep for a couple minutes when I was doing my intro. Oh. Like, it's, there's like, there's so many different things that can happen. And so the hour and a half is like, no, 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 no. Let's go in short, short sprints. You guys have three minutes. I need you all out. How many throws can you make perfectly? Go around the clock. I, I used to do this thing in baseball where um, you would do, like you would hold the glove at 12 o'clock. You know, if, like you're, if your arms are like coming down, you'd hold it at three o'clock or at one o'clock and then at six o'clock or whatever it is, but you would just go around the horn, what we called it, or go around the clock. And that was warm up. And if you missed the throw, well, you had to do that hour again. And so they were competing. It's like, I'm at 12. All right, now I'm at one. Now I'm at two. Now I'm at three. I'm at four. And so you have to get around the clock. Well, now that makes it a game. It's fun. You've gamified warmups. And the best athletes and the highest performing teams are competitive at everything. And so you got to find ways to be competitive 
even in the most mundane things like warming up your arm. I love that. And I would actually love playing that game. <laughs> right? It's fun. You know, like you'd be amazed. You have professional basketball players playing pony. Like, <laughs> like they're, they're like, that's such a stupid game. It's like, well, you know, you have to shoot from everywhere on the court. Whenever you get an opportunity, you got to be able to shoot. And so it's important, but in baseball and in softball and any of these throwing games, you, you're not, it's not golf where you're just going for distance. I just, do I hit it harder? Do I hit it softer? What club am I going to use? Or in baseball and basketball and in softball, you've got to be able to hit it from different angles, different heights with all this other stuff. And you have to practice that kind of stuff. But if you gamify it, it just makes it so much more fun. Like, you know, you know, I'm warmed up, but not, no, I'm not just warmed up, but I've actually leveled up in my ability to hit a glove. Because it's not just about getting the ball to the other girl. It's about putting it in a spot where that girl can take it and tag that player out. That's what we're warming up for. It's not just to get our blood flow in the, in the shoulder. <laughs> it's for a reason. And so if, you, if you're intentional about that, now when you're doing your drills, all of a sudden they're so much better. And so it just, it's that aggregation of marginal gains where you may not realize that you're getting better. But if you look at over time, you've leveled up huge where things that were difficult a year ago because you got a little bit better every day, a little bit better. Now you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so much better than I was a year ago. I'm able to hit that high ball when I need to. I'm able to, you know, slap button or bunt and, you know, I can do all that stuff because I got a little bit better each day. Oh, this is so good. I started talking <laughs> with the mute on, so it sounded kind of funny. Yeah. Like this is, people talk about, oh, we never have enough time. Like never have enough time like kids. I want more practice time. Da, 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 da. You have plenty. You're not making use of it. That's exactly right. Yeah. Most coaches, they're, they're wasting, they waste so much time. I, I was coaching uh, sixth grade football and in the middle of my hour and 45 minute practice, I had a 10 minute recess and the parents were like, you're crazy. I love that. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, first of all, they're sixth graders. And so they like to play. Secondly, shoot, I want that in college. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but here's what would happen is that uh, I, they knew that they got it. Here's the thing. They didn't have to earn it. It was going to happen whether we were having a good practice or a bad practice. I like that. And so when I'm like, all right, bring it up. All right, you guys have 10-minute recess. They know you got to go to the bathroom. You got to get some water. And they're sixth graders, so I'm like, don't do more than 10 gulps. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> right? Because they drink their whole thing and yeah. they're done for the rest of practice <laughs> yeah. because they drank too much water. But but it's it's in but in that little tiny like detail, I've just kept some of my athletes from getting waterlogged so that they are in pain for the remainder of practice. And like you have ten gulps, you know. And I also tell them like if you really need twelve, it's fine. But just the point is, don't drink so much that your belly hurts, right? But I would go and I would sit down on the opposite side of the parents, so I don't want to talk to them. It's practice. But I would sit in the shade and I would literally just enjoy watching these kids play. And it was football. So we had some rules, no tackling to the ground. Smart. But, every, but everything else is fine. Mm -hmm. Here's the other thing. If you want to go sit in the shade, cool. If you want to come sit with me in the shade, awesome. We're not going to talk about football. It's a break. But what I would learn in that recess is, oh my gosh, that guy's pretty fast. I didn't realize that. Maybe I can use him as a running back or that tiny, tiny person kicks the ball 50 yards right now. I should probably see if they want to be our kicker. <laughs> you know, so like I, I, it was, it was just a way for me to get to know my, my athletes. And mm -hmm. what I found, which is really interesting is that after a couple of weeks, I found that they started coming up with drills to make themselves better. Huh. I love like, that. Because they, they were allowed to use all the cones. They can use all the bags. They could set up an obstacle course. And what I found is that at the end of the break, quote unquote break, oftentimes they were more tired exactly. than <laughs> at practice, which is crazy. And so 
the other thing so then so then we have that 10 minute recess they come back well they're mentally they're mentally fresh and so i go right into teaching after that moment because that mimics what just what they did in school they went to recess they came back and they learned they went to lunch they came back and they learned they went to practice they had a break they came back and they learned and so i'm i'm staying with that pattern that they're already used to and it's huge. And so we would get to the game. Oh, and then at the end, during conditioning, we didn't run sprints because those are stupid. Like you don't run sprints. You make a game. So we'd be playing tag. We'd be playing red light, green light. Like I'd be doing all these things. I'm like, all right, when I say red light, you have to stop, but in this pose. And so now I'm teaching, um, well, spatial awareness because they're not supposed to bump into each other, but the ability to <laughs> right. slow down and stop. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it because... And they're going all out because it's not conditioning. It's a game. It's fun. You know, like one of my favorite games slash conditioning in baseball was you line somebody up at first and second, third and home. And then you line someone up in the middle and you just try to tag people out. It was very easy. Like, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like you said, go mm-hmm. and then you just, if you tag someone, then they're out. Well, if you don't want to be a part of that, you just run slow and you get tagged out. But that just shows me, okay, you're not really into it. Mm-hmm. You, you, can't, you can't force a kid to, to work hard. You just can't. You can't force them to want it. Can't. Otherwise, every professional athlete's child would also be a professional athlete. You rarely see it. It doesn't exactly. happen very often. You know? Or every famous actor's kids would be a famous actor. And even after all the stuff that they're given, they're still not done it because they didn't put the work in. Mm-hmm. But you find these, these kids, they run hard and they want to win. Those are your athletes. Those are your competitors. Those are the ones that you want to focus on leadership development, put them in leadership roles on the team because they're going to lead not by their mouse, but by their, their example. And that builds more culture, but it also gives you anchors to be able to say, all right, so you saw the way Tasha ran. And if you, could find it in you to run that hard, even if you're not as fast, you're going to get better and it's going to help the team. So now they're like, okay, so now Tasha is, is kind of, I've called her out, but in a positive way, I called her out for her work ethic. And so she's like, oh man, that's now that's also more pressure on her, which is a great thing. Because when you experience pressure, you find that you can actually experience more pressure and be okay. That when you, when something is hard, or let's say, like, let's talk about fear. Fear is something that it, it never, fears is something we tell ourselves and then there's danger and that's real. But fear, fear never goes away. You just become more brave. And so when you're up to bat and this pitcher is like just this phenomenal pitcher and she's getting offers left and right and stuff. And the first time you go up against her, you're a little bit afraid, but then you got a piece of it. And maybe she struck you out. But the next time you go up, you're a little less afraid because you're a little more brave because you've experienced that. And so coaches that understand that input that or um, put that stuff in practice. So that way, when they get to the game, they're, they're prepared. They've already been through it. Michael Jordan used to say that all the time where he's like, practice was harder than the games. Like I was, was meaner. I worked harder. It was all that stuff because when I got to the game, it was time to play. No time to work. Work is practice. Play is the game. That was his whole philosophy. But we can do that as coaches and we can put our athletes in positions where they feel a little bit of stress, a little bit of anxiety. And you do that during the during practice in the game, they're they're cool as ice. You're just like, I'm good. I got this coach. And you get to sit back and you watch your team just dominate. Not always, but a lot of times. (laughs) (laughs) More times than you did the other way. I like what you said there, especially because the balance of fun and we call it fun and fire, like that's what the best games are. Like no top athlete ever said like, I don't really care if I win or it's okay if I lose. They will never say that. However, (laughs) no top athlete will ever tell you that they didn't enjoy it too. Right. I think we talk about like, practice how you want to play i think that includes enjoyment and pressure 
Yeah. What, what I tell my athletes work like an underdog play like a champion. That's a good one. That's it. That's, I like that's that thing. So like, uh, you know, if you, if you put in the work, if you put in the extra mile with the extra rep and, uh, you just, that's how you look at it. And then when you get to the game, you're so much more prepared physically, mentally, spiritually. You're just, you're, sometimes you're just going to get beat because the person's better. Like, let's not forget there, there's always somebody better out there. You know, anybody who just played the 14 year old that won the, the tennis championship is going to know like, okay, I thought I was good, but uh, this 14 year old or 15 year old, like she was phenomenal, you know, and it was just really great to watch her. Um, and she had a mental coach. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, it was, it was, which is interesting because when I was watching him talk to her, I found myself, and, and you probably do this too, whenever you watch somebody who's a mental coach coach somebody else, you're like, oh, maybe I would have said it different or, uh-huh. I, 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 <laughs> you know, like I never thought about saying that. There were times when he was talking to her and she was like, shut up, stop talking. And he didn't. <laughs> exactly. He, I love that. But he didn't because he knew her. And even, and so she, what she was doing was her emotions were responding, mm-hmm. but deep inside that coach knew this is what she needs. Yep. And it worked out. Yeah. So good. All right. You've dropped a ton of knowledge. See, told you you'd live up to the intro. <laughs> I, I was so scared. <laughs> I was so scared. The fear is result is going back and now I'm getting braver. <laughs> See, now you're brave. <laughs> well, I would love if you could leave our coaches with one focus point to take all of this and be more intentional building this t- sort of culture with their teams. What would you tell them? I think I would start with what we kind of talked about is be intentional about the switch from student to athlete. That where is that moment in practice where now practice begins? It's not at the start of practice. It's three o'clock practice begins. No, you're dealing, you're not, you're not dealing with high performance athletes that are getting paid millions of dollars to show up ready to play. You're dealing with high school kids who are doing everything they can to have the most fans of their latest TikTok. That's, <laughs> exactly. that's what they're focusing mm-hmm. on and so you, you as a coach you're just like oh man well, when i got to practice i was ready it's like well you didn't have tiktok you didn't have Fortnite. um you didn't have access to uh, the world's knowledge in your pocket mm-hmm. you know hey siri teach me about everything <laughs> yes sir like <laughs> you can do it like it, that's it and so you have to be intentional I feel like we've said that word if it's like Pee Wee's playoffs to do intentional and everybody's like, oh, it's like the word of the day. <laughs> yep. Right. So I just I just aged myself. Nobody knows what Pee Wee's playoffs is. <laughs> I do. <laughs> do you know what it I is? I do. And cherry and uh Mechaleka High, Mecca High Neo. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff. <laughs> so um yeah, I it, that is a great place to start, is that you have to be intentional about letting them know in five minutes practice is going to start. And that's after technically practice has already started. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard concept. I think for a lot of coaches, because they just expect their players to be ready. It's like, well, you can expect them to be ready, but expect to be disappointed <laughs> or yeah. you can be intentional or intentional about now it's time to start and you rev them up and you warm them up and you boom, you get them going. And that in every sport is different. Every coach is different. Every, ages and genders and all this other stuff, it's different. But if you're in your sport long enough, you know how to get them fired up. And just that, just like when we talked about playing that uh, around the clock game in the warmups, like that's going to start practice. When Coach Dorrance would send them on a lap and say, you know, take your time. You've got five to seven minutes. Enjoy yourselves. You guys are a team. It's time to play. You're at recess. When you get back, let's go. Even when I was at IMG and I get these kids, they'd show up in my classroom and the, sh- the session starts at one o'clock, but I would always tell them the session starts at 1255, you know, five minutes before. So they're all in there at 1255 and five, for five minutes, they get to just sit there and be on their phones or goof off or, you know, try to figure out what I wrote on the board and what those symbols mean. And, and 
with two minutes left, I'm like, Hey guys, uh, we got two minutes left. So make sure you finish up. And then when you're before we start, make sure you put your phone on airplane mode and you put it upside down right here by the door. And the first couple of weeks, it, was, it had to be reminded and then reminded. And you never get, I never got mad at them. Like, come on, man. I told you this is what we're supposed to do. No, it's like, Hey, remember two minutes and a couple of weeks into it. Now they look at the clock. They start doing it themselves. Now the culture of my classroom has been established, but the next semester I got to start over. You got to start over. It's new, new people, new things happen, whatever it is. And so just be very intentional about warming up their, their psyche and warming up their ability to perform at that high level. And don't expect them to come right out of the classroom from the locker room into high performance mode. It just doesn't happen. You have to be intentional about that. And that is it for today's episode. If you want to learn more about James and his business, head to jamesleith.com and or follow him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That's James Leith, J-A-M-E-S-L-E-A-T-H on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So I swear I didn't give James any hints, but he led perfectly into what's coming next for the podcast. In the coming weeks, we're going to run a series to help you coach more intentionally. Leading up to the launch of the Softball Mental Training Membership, we'll be sharing everything we've learned about coaching the mental game in the most effective, efficient way. If you're on the wait list for the membership, not only will you receive special actionable bonuses pertaining to each week's episode, but you'll also get first dibs on launch-only bonuses and a two-week free trial. To learn more about the membership and join our wait list, head to mentalsweetspot.com forward slash membership. Doors open December 9th. Thanks again for joining us. Hope you have a good one. See you next time.